This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 9th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. The Federal Reserve is more controversial than ever. Ben Bernanke and Alan Greenspan's reputations are clearly implicated in the financial crisis and our sharp and prolonged recession. The failures of central bankers may offer a rare chance to roll back the powers of the Fed. So says Mark Calabria, Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. What was your general impression of Bernanke's uh, recent defense of his own record on Capitol Hill? I think it was a mixed bag. Uh, to his, and, and on the plus side, you know, the House Oversight Committee did not find any smoking gun. You know, they weren't able to say, you know, here he pressured B of A and Brian Merle. They were highly suggestive, but you know. He needed to do more than that, and he didn't. He really needed to sort of knock it out of the ballpark, and he did not. So I think he did not come away convincing anybody that you know he did a great job, unless they already did that, were believed in that anyhow. But there seemed to be nobody who believed that to begin with. I mean, there was hostility uh, if and skepticism across the aisle and across the committee on his recent uh, appearance. So it's pretty clear to me that he seems to have very few friends and supporters, or at least those who are openly willing to be his friend and supporter on Capitol Hill. In the financial system, when things are going well, isn't the Fed chairman always a genius? And when things are going poorly, the Fed chairman is just the the guy who didn't foresee this and, and somehow this is all his fault? Well, yes and no. I mean, you can go back and say the thing that really made Greenspan, for instance, was during the 1987 stock market, you know, that that day when the stock market dropped a lot and he you know injected liquidity and whether he made the right decision or not the markets recovered then and clearly he was able to claim credit for it so he was able to present himself as somebody who I came to the rescue it went well and while Bernanke has tried to present himself as somebody who through the bailouts of Bayer and AIG has saved our financial system and you've seen repeatedly where he's gone out and said that well everybody should know now that we let Lehman fail and that caused all this well there's nobody's, you know, there's a huge amount of debate around that. I don't know anybody who's really put forth a solid, convincing case that could make you say, yes, the Lehman failure is what caused everything. But Bernanke's trying to pull that as a defense for his other decisions. And because the crisis has gone on as long, his ability to sit here and say, I saved the financial system is undermined. I don't know anybody who goes out there today and thinks that Bernanke saved our financial system, with the exception of maybe Alan Blinder. But, you know, there really isn't a big core around that. So I, I would say that, uh, yes, to a degree, like a president or like any fair chairman, you take credit for things when go well, you get credit when things go badly. There's some degree of luck in that. But there's also a degree in which sometimes your bad decisions come back to haunt you. Uh, I think Bernanke is in the interesting position of having been governor for a number of years before he went over to the Council of Economic Advisors and before he came back and been Fed, chair, Fed chairman. So there's part of me who says it's too bad that Greenspan couldn't continue to be chair because he would have you know, he would have basically reaped what he sowed. I mean, he would have borne uh, the fruit and had to answer for his own policies over time. And instead, you know, I mean, he's answered to a little degree. Instead, that mess was handed over to Bernanke. But I think Bernanke did play a role in some of the mess that was created when he was governor. You mentioned the B of A uh, purchase of Merrill, allowing Lehman to fail. Um, the criticism on Capitol Hill for Bernanke was that he had put perhaps undue pressure on one market participant uh, to purchase another one. But isn't that just sort of the job of the Fed to to put, in many cases, uh, undue pressure on all market participants to behave certain ways when they uh, use money? 
What I would parse out, because I mean, I, the question is all, or the question is everybody. If you applied that pressure equally across the board and you said, well, everybody needs to do this or obey these rules or do this and that, well, that's that's depending on the quality of the rules, at least there's a consistency, there's a fairness. You know, what got confused here is, and I'll go back and, and start with saying that one of the fundamental principles of a good regulator, whether it's a bank regulator, whether it's the EPA, whether it's consumer regulator, whatever, is that that regulator's arm's length, that they are objectively, dispassionately looking at the situation, that they don't look at it and say, hey, you know, we're all part of the same team. Because, you know, we all know this, the theories of regulatory capture and such. And it's these sort of things where even if the regulators themselves don't intend to be captured by the regulated entities, they start thinking in the mindset of it. And, you know, I think it's interesting, uh, out of Ken Lewis's notes was he said that when he had a conversation with Bernanke, that Bernanke said to him over the phone during the whole deal, he said to him, we will not leave you in the lurch. Now, what exactly did he mean? You know, you know, if this goes wrong for you, we're going to bail you out. So, you know, there's some ambiguity there. And, you know, if this is not for the benefit of B of A, if this was not a good deal for Bank of America, you know, then the argument should be, you know, one, his shareholders should have known about that. And if somebody should have bailed out Lehman, well, you know, they should have been compensated for it, or maybe Lehman should have been allowed to fail. You know, but none of these things were done in the light of day. You know, you get the feeling that these were all conversations between a couple of guys with zero accountability and zero public oversight. I'm sure if they had known that many of these emails and phone conversations would become public, they never would have said what they said and did what they did. So there is a degree to which I think he's stepped over the line. There's really a degree to which, you know, bank regulator is appropriate to sort of put their hand on the shoulder of the banker and say, I think this is not a smart thing to do, or you need to look at your business strategy because it's affecting your safety and soundness. It's a totally different thing for a regulator to imply that if you don't do this and you get in trouble later, don't come come, come looking to us. So, I mean, there really were the, – and the hard part of it, and this is why I would go back and say – with the House hearing, there was no smoking gun because so much of the threats were really implied, you know, sort of. And, and you know, and when you're the chairman of the Fed, you really don't need to make explicit threats to banks. They know. Events of the past year and a half have sort of given lie to the notion of a Federal Reserve that is uh, independent of, of politics yet again. Uh, Very much agreed. Is there an opportunity here to to get a deeper look at the Fed's policies and perhaps roll back some of the of the power of the central bank in the U.S.? I think there is very much an opportunity, and and one, I, I think there's actually an openness on Capitol Hill to that. I mean, as I, you saw the reaction when Secretary Geithner went before the Senate Banking Committee in sort of expanding the Fed powers, and the reaction was uniformly negative. I would say there's actually an appetite for rolling back some of the Fed powers, which I think is the appropriate thing to do. One of the problems with having the guy who's the bank, the big bank regulator also be the monetary authority is they're the, they've got pockets to bail people out because they print money. They can print money by managing the money supply. So therefore, they can also bail people out. You know, the other bank regulators, the Office of Control of the Currency, the Office of Thrift Supervision, you know, they can, you know, make threats and they can control people, but they can't write huge checks. And that's fundamentally separates them from the Fed. Uh, I do think we need to look at what they do, for instance, in Britain and a lot of countries. We are actually the anomaly. The vast majority of countries across the world separate out their central bank from their bank regulators. They're generally two separate entities. And while there's certainly pluses and minuses to doing it, 
you know, there, there are no freebies, you know, in, in any of these situations. I think the way the direction has gone over the last couple of years has further convinced me, at least, that we need to take a look at, at at separating that and just having the Fed focus on monetary policy. You know, and I would also comment that uh, one of the primary differences between our central bank and many others is almost every other central bank of the world has only one mission. That's price stability. Ours has the mission of price stability in maximum sustainable employment, you know, which usually is interpreted as, you know, we're never going to let the economy, you know, soften or all. So it ends up being that you have a one-sided policy, which is that we always let bubbles develop and then we bail them out. And I think it's a very dangerous policy to have. If you just had a Fed focused on price stability and solely price stability, I think you'd have a Fed that did a lot less harm and a lot more good. Mark Calabria is Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.